This episode is sponsored by TrueLearn, an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. TrueLearn is the only company I trusted for Comlex Level 1 prep last year and Level 2 prep this year. Each TrueLearn practice question has detailed answer explanations and concise bottom lines for customizable studying. TrueLearn also has amazing USMLE smart banks, as well as subscriptions for shelf or comat exams. Go to TrueLearn.com and use one of my special discount codes I have for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. TrueLearn is the first line solution for excelling on exams. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and this is First Line. Here to bring listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness. Through an osteopathic lens, First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, hot topics in healthcare, the journey to becoming a physician, mental health, relationships, and even philosophy, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Hello everyone, this week's episode is about clinical rotations and this is part four, I think that sounds right, of a series on clinical rotations. I just finished my third year of medical school, so I finished all of my core rotations and I'm starting sub-eyes or sub-internships in about a month now. So uh, this episode in particular, I'm going to be talking about preparation for rotations that are in surgical specialties, whether that's general surgery or OBGYN. And I'm going to be talking about how to get and take advantage of opportunities to learn hands-on skills and procedures. And I'll also mention a little bit more about professionalism. And then I'll also mention um, some tips about pimping. And this episode, I'm also going to talk a little bit about things that might be a little bit more specific to osteopathic students, but for the majority of this, it's going to be applicable to our allopathic counterparts that do not receive all of the training that osteopathic medical students do. I talked about getting to clinic or the hospital early to look at patients before you're expected to see anyone, but another thing that I would say was during surgery and OBGYN, so the surgical specialties. For those, it helps to do a little bit of reading um, the night before. You might see a patient in the OR because you'd want to read up on what the procedure is like and relevant anatomy that you know you're going to be pimped on. And then you can read up a little bit more about the patient's diagnosis too. So, For that, assuming that your surgery and OB rotation has elective patients that are scheduled ahead of time, so you're not doing acute care surgery, that can be useful to kind of know what what you should prepare for. Just kind of more general advice that I would say is, especially if you want to gain a lot of hands-on experience, is to just be around and be ready to help at all times. And if there's something specific you want to do, like like maybe you want to insert a catheter. So 
I would say ask the preceptor if they would like help with it or if they can just show you if it's the first time and you've never done it before. With outpatient, any kind of procedural thing, it helps to ask the preceptor ahead of time before you go in the room so that you're not asking in front of the patient. So many times though, opportunities to do more of these hands-on skills, like maybe helping to innovate a patient, for example. A lot of times these opportunities will be offered to you because people that take medical students want to teach you, so they will often offer, but you always have to react enthusiastically and gratefully when you are offered these opportunities because if you let on that you don't really care too much about it and you wouldn't care one way or the other if you learned about it, then the preceptor is less likely to get you involved again. But if you act very enthusiastic about it, then they're going to just include you even more because they know that you want to do it. Another thing I would say if you do want to be more involved or just to show that you are interested, I would say every time you see your preceptor put gloves on, you should be putting on gloves. And that's true for inpatient, outpatient, surgery, wherever. And don't worry at all about wasting gloves. I think it's a lot worse for your preceptor to want to get you involved and then they see that you don't have gloves on and you're not, you're not ready. So you lost that opportunity. And also this goes for surgical specialties too. So if you're in the room and you haven't scrubbed in yet, then you want to put on regular gloves because a lot of times the anesthesia team will want to get you involved or maybe the nursing team might need help setting up the patient. So it just helps to be ready to help whenever and having gloves on um, definitely helps with that. Okay, so now this is specific to osteopathic medical students. So how does doing osteopathic manipulative medicine, also known as OMM or OMT, how does that occur during rotations? So one thing I will say is that if I feel like I have time, unless my preceptor said, I need you to go see this patient in five minutes and report back. If I feel like I have enough time and I feel like it is applicable to what the patient is coming in for, so I probably wouldn't do this with a diabetic patient who's just coming in for a three-month follow-up. So if I think someone could benefit from OMM or OMT, I will often take time to diagnose them. Even if I only have a little bit of time, it's really easy to just go down the whole spine and look for areas of somatic dysfunction, kind of doing a spring test along the spine. And occasionally I might want to look for Chapman's points or if they have a musculoskeletal complaint, I'll check for counter strain points. So it's based off of what, what is ab actually applicable. I'll include this as part, as part of my physical exam. And it's almost seamless, especially if someone is coming in with back pain. Well, I'm already looking at their back. I'm already palpating to make sure I know that they're saying I have pain here. So then I'm already touching the back anyway. I'm going to be looking for a lumbar somatic dysfunction or maybe some paraspinal hypertonicity or something like that. So it is almost part of the physical exam for me without even thinking about it. So I will usually diagnose because diagnosing is something that you can do safely just as part of your physical exam. 
because you're not pro providing any sort of treatment. So I will, if it's applicable, I'll include this as part of my physical exam findings and then include it as part of my assessment that I diagnosed them with a somatic dysfunction. And in my plan, I will often say that this patient will benefit from OMM and even include the type of technique that I would use. So I don't actually perform the technique on the patient. I only get the information of the diagnosis to form my assessment and plan as you would do for anything else. When you're first seeing a patient and before you report to your preceptor, you're never giving the patient medication that they need before reporting to your preceptor. That's up to them to decide. So OMM is no different. You're only diagnosing, you're not treating yet. When you go to your preceptor, include it that you put in the work to diagnose and form a plan like you would do anything else. And many times, so preceptors, MD preceptors will... I don't even know if they're allowed to supervise you doing OMM because they're not taught how to do it. So I've never had an, an MD preceptor allow me to do OMM. But I always include it as part of the assessment and plan because preceptors, like even if you're an MD preceptor, if you're going to take DO students, you have to at least know about OMM and know, know at least a little bit about it even just having that as education on the part of the student teaching the preceptor that, yeah, they would really benefit from this. If anything, it is advocacy for the profession so that MDs can refer their patients to see DOs that can not only take care of everything that the MD can, but can also provide them osteopathic manipulative treatment that will really help them. It really helps to do that and if not for that, it's good practice for you, especially if after you graduate and after you do residency, you know that you want to do OMM long term. At least at my school, the OMM rotation in, in third year as part of core clerkships is only two weeks long. So if you want to keep up your OMM skills and use them in the future, you have to incorporate it into your daily practice as far as your rotations go. So it's going to be good practice to make sure that you're thinking osteopathically all the time because many of your preceptors are likely to be MDs. It's just a numbers game with that. So you're often not going to be pushed to think osteopathically. So if you want that for yourself, if you don't want to be a DO in name only, then you have to start that from from the start. And I think I did that fairly well. And I, I still feel like I could diagnose and treat somatic dysfunctions pretty comfortably, but I still have a lot more to learn and a lot more to practice. But I made a point of it pretty early on that I was going to at least diagnose and, and try to think of a treatment plan based off of that. So those are with MD preceptors. A lot of DO preceptors, believe it or not, even if they have the capacity to oversee you doing treatment, many of them won't feel comfortable doing that because they may have lost their ability to do OMM. Maybe they think osteopathically in their practice and they think holistically and they see patients as a whole person and 
treat all their body systems as interconnected. But maybe as far as the actual OMM techniques go, they have lost touch with it and they don't use it in their own practice. They might not feel comfortable letting you do osteopathic treatment, even though OMM is incredibly safe. Maybe they wouldn't feel comfortable letting you do that as part of treatment. I don't know all the rules that go into that, but in my experience, many DOs will not feel comfortable overseeing you do that. So that brings us to DOs that are comfortable letting you do OMM. So in my experience, these are usually the DOs that are part of education. So they either are also faculty at the medical school or they are preceptors for residents or they are residents themselves. So those are the people that I usually found to want to help students learn and practice OMM while on clerkships. So when you do encounter these people that you think will be very amenable to having you practice OMM, make it a point to keep diagnosing every patient, even if you think it might not be super applicable. You can at least practice and try to think of it and then have a conversation with your preceptor or with the resident about what they would do and if they would perform OMM. I asked that question many, many times that I was like, okay, well, this, this person's coming in with upper respiratory complaints. Is there something with OMM that you could do with this? So that's when I've had um, experience doing OMM outside of my OMM specific rotation. And that's the same thing that I would diagnose and then I would come out and then we would go in together to treat the patient. And many times it would be close oversight. Um, so they would be in the room while I was performing the treatment. Again, if you want to make a point to practice OMM in the future, it really is important to practice while you're on rotations. Uh, whether you are able to do the treatments or not, it helps to just practice diagnosis too. I'd also say don't ask people where they went to medical school. You can easily get this information if you've ever been in their office they usually have their diplomas framed on the wall you can also look it up online if you're really that curious they might not want to answer that and it might come across as you trying to size them up by asking them where they went to school so you never really want to do that how are you even going to respond after they say what school you, they went to? Just don't ask, and if you really want to know, look it up. And if you do have any connection with your school, like maybe it is a school that's where you're from, then you can bring it up being like, oh, I saw that you're from this school, and then you can actually talk about it. But the actual asking people what medical school they went to, I don't think it's necessary to ask that. And just a little bit of a social awareness thing. If you are in a room where everyone is on a computer and someone else walks in and there's not enough computers, that means you are giving up your computer, okay? Don't just say, oh, do you need this computer? Actually close out of everything, stand up and say, here, please take this computer. And then they will not feel weird about sitting down right? So if you are just continuing exactly what you're doing and you say, oh, do you need this? They're going to feel uncomfortable saying, yes, I do need this, even if they do need it. They might 
downplay they might go somewhere else and that's just annoying so just make sure that you are just giving up your computer and i would even say if there's a room of people and computers and there's only one computer left i probably wouldn't take that computer i'd probably leave that computer open in case someone else walks in so use your laptop if you can so that you don't have to put yourself in that kind of situation and i would say even if you are told to leave for the day I would always just ask, unless you're like outpatient and you literally don't have any patients for the rest of the day, you can absolutely ask, is there anything else that I can help with? That is usually met with a, no, you're good, thanks for asking. But at least you asked and it shows that you are willing to help if help is needed. So I used the word pimping once or twice already, and I just wanted to go a little bit more in depth in what I really mean by that. So pimping is just your preceptor asking you questions that they already know the answer to. They want to see if you know information. This is a place where you get to show your knowledge in a little bit of a different way than just presenting a patient because when you're presenting a patient you can look up everything ahead of time that you need to do that so this is more of you're being put on the spot you are tested orally and you need to be pretty fast in your answer and this was something that I just want to say I would get the majority like the vast majority of answers incorrect when I was first starting third year rotations by by the end of the year i was getting the majority of them correct so that is just to say that yes you're learning more information as the year goes on but you're also being a little bit more comfortable answering questions on the fly like this what helped me most with pimping is staying up to date on my Anki cards because Anki has forced recall just like pimping does whereas doing practice questions and reading textbooks and studying any other way is more of a recognition recall and like being able to see multiple choice it is recall you can see what the answer is and you can pick them on a list in Anki you don't have that you actually have to pull it out of your memory so that's what helped most with pimping so it's really like kind of like the Socratic learning method in that you are supposed to give information and so your preceptor has a way to know where your understanding lies and be able to teach you in response to that so they can see gaps in your knowledge and then focus on teaching you that sort of thing. Most preceptors will actually, if they see that you're not getting their answers right, they will give you almost a mini lecture on the topic. And when they do this, make sure you are taking notes. You are jotting some things down. You don't have to do all of them, but if you get a pimping question wrong, they ask you a question and you do not know the answer and they tell you what the answer is, you need to write that down. If you're not writing it down, they are very likely to ask you the same question the next day. And if you don't write it down, it's likely that you're not going to remember it and you'll get it wrong a second time. And that is a really, really bad sign. So you want to make sure you're writing it down. And other preceptors may not give these mini lectures. They might just say, okay, look that up and present on it tomorrow. So that's just another way of you being more of an independent learner and learning on your own and just proving that you're learning. And it's just important to know that people aren't pimping you to make you feel bad, to make you feel stupid, to give you imposter syndrome. They're doing it so that 
they know that you're learning and they can see if you already know things because then they don't need to teach it to you. So it's really for your benefit. Some preceptors can be kind of mean about it. I will be honest with that, but the vast majority of them will be nice about it. But there are just some preceptors I specifically think about in surgical specialties. Preceptors that might be a little bit more mean about it, and that's just because in their training, their preceptors, it's just, it goes along with the field that they've gone into. The people that pimped them were like that, so they just think that that's what pimping should be. And of course, not everyone in the surgical specialties will be mean about pimping. It's just way more common than, say, family medicine. And just know that for preceptors, it's a lot easier for them to not pimp you, to just do the work that they need to do and just have you watch. So it's a lot more time consuming for them to think of questions to ask you, and then knowing that if you get the questions wrong, they now need to either assign you a presentation to do or assign you something to look up and then remember to ask you about it later, or they have to actually teach you the information. So it is a conscious choice for them to want to teach you if they are pimping you. So look at it as them investing in you. I'd also say when you are asked a question, give it your best shot. Try to think of something. So if you're asked about a diagnosis for abdominal pain and you really don't know what exactly they're looking for, well, just give them another cause of abdominal pain. It might be the right answer and you might luck out. Or it can just be something closer and it can show them that you're kind of on the right track and then they can give you another hint being like, well, you're close, but think about this also. And then it might spark you in the right answer. And it shows that you're trying, you're working towards it. Just saying, I don't know, seems very disinterested. I have had several pimping questions that were asked in a way that you either know or you don't. And there's no such thing as like a educated guess for it. So in those instances, you can say, I don't know, but the vast majority of pimping questions, you'll be able to at least guess something somewhat close to show that you're thinking about it. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm on Instagram at firstlinepodcast. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstlinepodcast. You can reach out for any questions, comments, suggestions, feedback. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again.